Hey, it's me, Jade. Before we start, I want to say, one, thanks for tuning in and listening. As always, I really appreciate it. Two, I had a hoot and a half recording this episode, and I really think you'll enjoy it. Three, you'll definitely want to check out the show notes for this episode, because as you'll soon hear, Aaron drops a lot of musicians and other musical tidbits, so those show notes are going to add some extra context to the conversations we're about to have. Getting to them is really easy, too. You just have to go to our website, wgcproductions.com, and then go to the On Their Way tab, and it'll be right there in the page. See? Easy as pie. Alrighty, episode six is coming right at you, and remember, this is a WGC production. Aaron Freeman, although commonly known as the stage name I just played bass, is a multi-instrumentalist, arranger, and filmmaker. Aaron is most known for playing and recording multiple instruments while enriching songs with his own personal style of rhythm, blues, soul, and harmony. As a music director, arranger, creative director, and videographer, Aaron has been privileged to share his talents at a wide variety of venues and events in and around the greater Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, including the D.C. Jazz Fest, the D.C. Wharf, the Kennedy Center, and Signature Theater. Aaron is currently a senior at Howard University and an active member of their jazz band, orchestra, and concert band. He has played bass and drums on two of Howard University's jazz albums. All right. Hey, Aaron. So how are you today? I'm doing great, Jade. It's going well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. It's raining a lot here, but I'm a fan of the rain, so it's it's working out well for me. There you go. So I'm going to launch right into it. Where do you come from? Originally, of course, my parents, but I'm from Brooklyn, New York, originally. 1994, best I. I was born in Coney Island Hospital. I moved to Virginia at a young age, went to school down here, you know, Back and forth all over between New York and North Carolina. I got a lot of family in between New York and North Carolina, grandparents down there and, you know, different folks. So I'm the countryest city boy you ever going to meet, basically. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And how would you describe what you do? Do you mean artistically? Well, do you have another answer? Well, I just want to make sure I'm being specific. If you're talking about artistically or, you know, you could be talking about music or you could be talking about film or just creatively, you know, so I'm not. I just want to be specific. Could you give us all three? How do you describe yourself creatively? How do you describe yourself musically? And then how do you describe yourself as a filmmaker? Got you. So originally starting off, my main thing has always been music. So even from a young age, you know, playing and different things like that. Where I am now, I'm more so open to the most artistic thing I can do and kind of just trying it through different lenses per se so for example like i'm kind of realizing now that music film painting art drawing even sound engineering and sound design and film scoring all these things are kind of like the same thing the same way someone can capture emotion through different elements of art i'm kind of interested in exploring now all these different facets of art and whether it's on the visual side or the auditory side or even taste, you know, cooking and different things. I'm, I'm kind of learning that all of these things are just different ways to perceive art. So that's kind of where I am now. I'm not just a bass player or a camera operator, you know, one thing. I'm, I'm kind of more so just exploring. And how did you get to this point of exploration? Because you did mention how these new lanes and facets were new to you. So what made you get to the point where you realized you wanted to explore these other outlets? Mainly just trying different things. So kind of to start off on the music side, for me, you know, I grew up, of course, in Virginia, but in New York, my grandfather owns a restaurant where 
a live band would play twice a week and there were other like smaller acts but for me this thing that i called the band like it's a it was a group of like a few guys a rhythm section a singer and for me it was just the band like i used to sit in this one seat in front of the band and watch them every monday and thursday and just listen to them play and i just took in a bunch of music and everybody has that thing in their life growing up where it's like whoa that's big for me i look forward to it every time it's getting ready to happen and this and that for me that was the band at my grandfather's restaurant in new york called sugar hill and the band would play from 7 to 11 you know take a couple breaks they would play a few sets and at 11 o'clock it didn't stop there for me i would go downstairs to the club actually so my grandfather owns a restaurant upstairs and then downstairs there's a a nightclub and so i would go there and being that i'm the uh the grandson of him who's the owner and my dad also helps run the business you know i had access to all of these things and i wasn't in the club to you know get into trouble or anything it was more so because of the music i wasn't in there to dance at 26 years old and i still really can't dance that well but <laughs> it's you know embarrassing enough but it, it kind of is what it is but I, I mean the dj whose name is marvin he goes by dj mad marv that that's my first exposure to a dj and kind of mixing and how the great music of the 90s the 80s the 70s and even further back I was getting live band upstairs and like kind of club DJ vibes downstairs. So I was taking in a lot of sound, a lot of music, a lot of just creative energy that I would later start to form and process as I got older. Most people, they grow up, they learn an instrument. Somebody, you know, little Susie learns the violin or Billy takes up the trumpet or yada, yada. For me, I played guitar, but I also played the piano, the drums. I started learning drums later, but I learned the drums, the bass. I got a bass when I was eight. And so for me, it was just music. It wasn't really an instrument. It started off as just music. I saw it through the lens of these different instruments. It wasn't through the lens of just guitar or just the piano. So I would visually see chords on the piano, but also hear it on guitar and feel the beat on the drums. It started off like that, and so it only expanded from there, where as I got in grade school and high middle school and, you know, stuff like that, I took up a few wind instruments and started learning the trumpet and the saxophone, and as I got into high school and got past the phase of trying to buy clothes and fit in, I started saving my money and buying instruments. It became kind of an addiction almost. Like right now, I have on my Instagram, professional instrument hoarder. That, it's a joke, but... It's kind of not, you know, I just became... <laughs> it's real life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just became fascinated with buying instruments and trying to get every instrument that I could. To make a long story short, that's how it started for me for music. I would be tripping if I left this part out of the story. My my other grandfather, who's my mom's dad, he played the guitar when I was younger. And my mom said when they brought me home from the hospital when I was born, he opened the door with the guitar in his hand and, and they were just like can we at least get in the house first before you play this <laughs> so he just wanted me to hear the sounds of it and you know and the crazy thing is my grandfather you know he taught himself the guitar he played like just a few chords here and there he could play a few songs he could sing a few tunes here and there and so that went a long way for me how many instruments do you play exactly how many instruments do i play well 
Let's see here. It's a tricky question because I go in waves. And the kind of short way to explain that is like, for a few months, I'll be really interested in, say, the saxophone or something. I'll be like, oh, I want to be a saxophone player. I, I have my own saxophones and I can pick them up anytime. Something will click for me and I'll catch a saxophone wave for like a couple weeks. And then I'll just put it down. Like I may play it still here and there, but I'll be off the saxophone wave and maybe it, the next wave coming up might be guitar or keys or drums or, you know, something will happen where I'm needed more for a specific instrument for a certain amount of time. And I'll be focused on that. And so to answer your question about how many instruments I actually play, let's see. I I own 76 instruments. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, that's guitars, that's basses, both electric and upright. That's acoustic guitars. I got a banjo, a mandolin, a ukulele, and got tons of keyboards, a, a Rhodes, an organ, a bunch of horns, you know, trumpet, flugelhorns, all the saxophones, all the string instruments, violin, viola, cello, upright bass, got French horn, got English horn, got a clarinet, trombone, got a DJ set up. A few drum sets, uh, my own percussion setup, a bunch of electronic drum pads and stuff like that. So yeah, pretty widespread. Am I amazing at all of the instruments? No. I play certain things on certain instruments well enough to do certain jobs that I'm required to do. So mm -hmm. kind of look at it like that. All right. So since you do take in so many musical influences, like you mentioned, upstairs in your grandfather's restaurant, you listen to bands. Downstairs, you listen to music from a variety of decades, play two different proficiencies, a lot of different instruments. How does that influence your your music? And how would... I'll get to the second question later. Let's just stick with this one. How do How do all those influences influence your current music style and taste? I feel that... Almost like I live in the in the wrong decade, almost. You know, the music of today is great and it's cool. It's, it works for, you know, the kids of this generation. But things that speak to me are a lot of times older than me that even precede my parents' age. Going back even to, like, early jazz times, of course. You know, I like jazz music. And things like R&B and funk and soul and even gospel and disco and even some elements of rock and just things from when people like our parents would say, that's when music was music. <laughs> you know, you'll hear people our parents say, say, well, that's when music was music. But then it's always subjective because, you know, our generation in 20 years will look back and say, well, this is when music was music. So, you know, it is what it is. But as far as how it influenced my sound and how I am as a musician, it definitely dates back. Musically, I feel like my age is like, I'm like maybe 40 years old at least, something like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of want to talk about your work as an arranger. And do you compose as well? I was researching, but I couldn't quite find a definitive answer. Are you a composer as well as an arranger? I do compose, or I, I should say I can compose. I think my lane has been more arranging versus doing things completely from scratch. So okay. if I have like a piece of something, I can take that 10 more miles. For me, it's not, I got my writing pad and I'm just going to make a song from scratch. I don't do that often. All right. Then could you take us through the process of you arranging a song from the very beginning to the very end? Yeah, no problem. So a lot of stuff I like to arrange. I pull from my musical palette of things where since I've been taking in music, you know, into my system, there's certain things that stick with me. And so, for example, certain bass lines, certain 
string lines, just melodies and different things that come from all different types of sources all over, actually. And then I, I save each thing like a file, like a file in a file cabinet. I think an easy example would be... Mm, so, like, you know the song, like, What's Going On, the Marvin Gaye song? Yeah. Oh, right. you're on your keyboard? Right, well, I'm in my music room right now, but yeah. Look at that! Okay, all right, go ahead. <laughs> so, on the bridge where he goes to the... Uh-huh. So in music terms, that looks like we're in E major, and then we went to A minor, that A minor nine chord. That would be something we call going to like a minor four parallel mm-hmm. majors, G major. But not to get too nerdy, it's like the sound, the feeling of that is the same thing in like say like uh, the Mary J. Blige song where if it was like. It's like that same thing, only on the Mary J. Blige one, say they do a walk up and then they also do a walk down back to. So it's like things like that have stuck with me over time. Chord progressions, bass lines, even horn lines. Are you familiar with the song Pretty Wings or Maxwell? Oh, I love me some Maxwell. I'm very familiar. Yeah. So there's a horn line on that song that. If you listen closely to that song, there's actually a lot of information in that song musically that definitely dates that song, where you hear the influences. There's actually a group that some of that those lines came from. But the next time you listen to it, I want you to listen to the horn lines. I think it's towards the middle end, and you'll hear, you know, it's like a line that goes... And for them to put that in... At that time, what is popular music, a bebop line was just mind-blowing for me when I first heard it. And I heard it at a young age, and I, before I even know what bebop was, and bebop kind of being some things in, a, in the jazz language. But when I hear stuff like that, that sounds like, whoa, like they use this music or things from this genre in this genre. For me already coming from a crazy place where I want to try 10 different instruments and this and that and kind of not being afraid of trying things is what I get a kick out of. Say at Howard, I had to do a lot of jazz arrangements because at Howard, it's either you study classical music or jazz. But when I would perform and arrange these things, I would take a lot of influences from other genres because that's what speaks to me. And so when arranging a jazz song, I might pull gospel influences. I might pull R&B influences. I might slip little themes in there from funk or R&B songs or different things like that. You easily could hear me do a jazz arrangement, but it have a horn line like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, and that being from Pick Up the Pieces, like a funk song that I've now put into a jazz arrangement. I think for me, that's the thing that, is the most interesting is when you can mix genres and mix different color palettes together. This is genuinely fascinating. Like I don't talk to many musicians in depth like this. So this is really truly amazing. When you hear music, do you hear like the individual part? Cause like you were talking about like specific lines and things. So like, when you hear music, do you hear the parts of it or do you hear it like as a whole song? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I had to ask myself that a bunch of times as well. I know a lot of people have known me as a bass player, especially because that's my name on Instagram, even though, you know, I play multiple instruments. But when I hear music, it's very the opposite of hearing it from just a bass standpoint or just a guitar standpoint. It's really from a place where just like my beginning, I hear the band. I hear the whole thing. So I hear each individual part and what it's doing in conjunction with the next part. And so everything from the keys, the bass, the drums, to all the way down to whatever the smallest shaker is doing. Like, or just what hi-hat pattern he was playing or, you know, what the vocalist decided to do. Just different things, different colors that I hear all at once. It's definitely interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to go talk about something that you've done. So in November of 2019, you opened for the National Symphony Orchestra. So can you kind of take us through that process of what that was like working with NSO? That was an amazing experience. And shout out to Vaughn, former Howard alum, who actually came to my sophomore recital. So that opportunity came because... At Howard, you're required to put on a sophomore recital and a senior recital. And so while studying jazz at Howard, the expectation is you put together maybe a trio or a quartet or a quintet at the most or something like that. And you you just play a few songs and they grade you and they say, cool, you're ready to keep going on and continue and getting your degree and move on. Everybody has to do it. So for mine, being the crazy person that I am, I said, okay, cool. Well, I know I'm going to do a symphony. I'm going to bring the whole symphony in here instead of just the expectation of quintet at most or a sextet. So they were like, uh, I mean, you don't have to do all of that. Why would you do all of that? And for me, I'm, I like to prove people wrong. And I've kind of been trying my best to defy the laws of gravity creativity wise for a long time from even back from when people used to tell me, oh, just learn one instrument or focus on one instrument. You don't want to be out here playing all these instruments and not mastering any. And part of that is true. You definitely want to have focus, but also don't put your parameters and limitations on me. I come from a different generation than some of the older people that were telling me these things. I believe kids nowadays will do multiple things easily because technology and a bunch of other reasons. So when I put on this show at Howard, a lot of people were there, and one of those people was Vaughn, like I said, former Howard alum, and she called me like the next day and was like, hey, I got an opportunity for you if you're interested. NSO is looking for somebody to open for them for their upcoming show at the Anthem, and I was like, "Are you? is this for real right now? Like, are you, are you being serious? Like, she was like, yeah, I mean, I was at your show, and I showed them some of your footage and they thought that would be a great opener for the show and at the time I remember being very still and was just like okay so that's this is real okay this is real got you okay so this this is not a prank this is not a joke and so after I kind of like snapped out of it and woke up I was like definitely let me know and this and that. And for the next couple of weeks, we worked out a bunch of details and different things like that. And 
I got set together some music and I performed for 30 minutes opening for the National Symphony. And it was a surreal experience, especially being a young black guy, having a symphony, a group this size, arranging all the music and actually pulling it off and bringing together some of the DMV's top jazz musicians and classical musicians, even gospel musicians, and putting together this show. And then people actually enjoyed it. And the reaction I didn't expect at all, because I don't know why I was thinking this, but I I was just thinking these people maybe are here more interested to see NSO. I don't know how they're going to react to the music, whoever is here. I had a lot of family and friends there, but the people were really into it. I mean, I did some Stevie, I did some Michael, I did some Marvin Gaye. I did some Chick Corea, some jazz stuff. I did some Frank Sinatra. So I made sure to do different things so I could maybe inspire and touch different people. But the response was just like, man, you know, after the show, people were coming up and were just like, yeah, if we didn't hear anything else, we were good. We felt like we got our money's worth. And I was like, whoa, are you serious? I was shocked. It was just a great experience, and I was just so blessed to be able to experience that. And my family and friends, grandparents were there, and aunts and uncles, and church family. And I'm so blessed to have a a church like mine that supports me and stuff like that, and you know can also give me spiritual growth. But they even came, even my pastors came out, and it, it was just a blessed, blessed time. And I'm so thankful for so many people, Vaughn, who originally called me, and. Sterling, who's my partner in crime, she not only stood by me and things while I was arranging the music and helped, but also was the librarian for the symphony and helping to put together and organize rehearsals and different things. And even half the stuff I did would not be possible without her. So thankful to a lot of people, Vaughn, her, even my teacher for putting in a good word. So it, it was it was great. Is that what you want to do more in the future with your career organizing and performing in live gigs? Yes. And I don't want to say no, because the answer is always yes. It's just that my interests are, I know this is going to sound crazy, but and the more I say it, the more it kind of makes sense to me. And I'm hoping that it makes sense to you and the rest of the world as well. But it's kind of one of those things that's like a wave again, you know, just like the instruments. I don't want to say I do it a few times and I'll be tired of it. It's not exactly that. It's just that that's just one part of it, you know? I've done it a few times. I did it for N- open for NSO. I had my own show at the Kennedy Center this year in February, I believe. And I could definitely continue doing it, but I could not just do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So since that is a great transition, t- can you tell us more about your film work as a steady cam operator and your work in that field? Yeah, definitely. So... A few years back, I was looking to get more serious into taking pictures and just video and stuff like that. So I wanted to get a camera. A girl that I was dating at that time bought one for my birthday and I just got like a a Canon. It was cool. It was a little cheap camera. It was real nice. And I just started taking more pictures and got a couple lenses here and there. And then I bought another one and I wanted to start getting into more video. And I had always been into making videos and different things like that and here and there because all of that stuff led into when I created all those I Just Play Bass videos when I, when I would play multiple instruments and had to do video editing. But, you know, it's just videos at home on the phone and so using iMovie and stuff like that. 
but that led to getting a camera and then having multiple cameras, learning how to use Premiere Pro, the editing software. And that was a DSLR camera. Then I got my first kind of like small cinema camera, kind of moving over to the company Blackmagic Cameras and had a few cameras with them. What really kind of took my film journey to the next level was meeting a guy named T.L. Benton at Howard. Um, uh, gotta love T.L. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, T.L. started his company, Mecca Filmworks, in 2017, I believe. And it's just expanded and boomed into, I mean, just this multifaceted film monster of a business. And it started literally just with both of us filming with both of our two cameras. He had one, I had one. And it's weird because I remember the day this happened, we both were just like, oh, we think we want to try film. Because, you know, TL's a musician uh, first. Mm -hmm. TL plays the piano. He got his music degree at Howard. And so, but we both decided one day, we were just like, oh, we want to try film. Uh, You know, we just want to buy some cameras and, you know, shoot some stuff. It's interesting. It went from that to being in New York and L.A. shooting A-list artists, music videos. It's definitely been, like, again, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate to know such a great guy. And, you know, going from shooting student recitals at Howard to getting a couple more cameras and shooting a couple senior recitals for different people. Some people saw that, called us for D.C. Jazz Fest. D.C. Jazz Fest um, and other artists in the area saw the work we did for them. We did a couple music videos here and there, this and that, a couple promo videos. We got more calls, did a few commercials. The folks at DC Jazz Fest, we did some awesome work with them the first year. Some people at the Kennedy Center saw it. Kennedy Center called. We started working at Kennedy Center and doing DC Jazz Fest and doing music videos and artist videos in in the DMV area. More commercials, more documentaries started coming up. The work at Kennedy Center continued then to be able to get calls at other venues in the area and more artists and different things. I think one of the first big ones was Jason Moran and then Common and then Robert Glasper. And then from there, Robert Glasper called TL because of the work at the Kennedy Center. But then we traveled to New York and they had him up there for a month and I was back and forth because I was in school. Mm-hmm. shooting him at the Blue Note, and then Moo Moo Fresh, and then Chris Dave, and a bunch of other people called him, and shooting just music videos here and there, all in between documentaries and different things, has been able to have us all over, and I'm just thankful to be a part of and witness such like greatness happening in front of me with his business and be a part of it. But to get to the study camp part, that only came from needing to have motion shots and wanting to be able to do that without having to do handheld shots and it'd be shaky. So the first thing we got was a little cheap slider, but you know, that's, you, you couldn't follow somebody with a slider for more than say six feet because it's a slider. It's on a track. So got the steady cam, learned how to use it. It took a few weeks and I kind of got it down and then I upgraded to a better one. And I've been doing steady cam work ever since. Um, and now I'm kind of, I'm on to a geared head now. And if you don't know what that is, uh, the geared head is like a machine where you mount the camera on it and there's a wheel on the side, on the left side, and there's a wheel on the back and you turn them. And based on how you turn them, 
it goes up or down, left or right. And so that's been the kind of the new practice and even learning anamorphic lenses and different things we've been shooting. And so it's just been an awesome journey. I'm kind of into color grading now and using nodes and the proper way to light expose people's face and skin tones and different things and shallow depths of field and making sure the colors are right. It's it's another one of those things that's a phase, not a phase in a bad way where it's going to be short-lived and be over. But for me, it's about how fast can I learn this new thing, whatever it is, with keeping the same quality, not because you can, you can always do things fast, but they can suck, you know? So how fast can I do this thing and it actually be quality is always my question. So when I when I learn an instrument and I say, okay, this is, what is this called? A keyboard? All right, this is a keyboard. What do I already know about this? All right, I know it has this X amount of keys. And let's see, I'm going to just push a, push a random note. That's a sound. What did it take to do that? I push my finger down. Okay, so if that's the case... Okay, it's not hard to press it multiple times. Okay, so if that's one note, is it the same amount of energy to play a different note? Okay, it is. So it's the same amount of energy for both notes. I can go back and forth between both notes easily. Which direction is high and which direction is low? Okay, higher is to the right. Lower is to the left. Okay, boom. So if that's the case, is it the same if I go... Okay, so right is all the high notes, not just some of them. Left is all the low notes. So if I can play these two notes, can I play three notes? Okay, what is the order of the notes? And if I can play those three notes, can I play a simple song? And so, you know, once you get there, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. We got this. Let's speed this up. Let's get moving on this. And a lot of times I'll take the approach where I don't have a mindset of this thing is going to take me months to learn. I just try to approach things, especially artistically and with these new tools and instruments like what's the norm that it takes? All right. A few weeks. All right. Cool. Or is it a few months or whatever? All right. Cool. What do I already know how to do from similar things? Can I take what I already know and speed up that process? Did it take long for those people who are saying months because they didn't have any previous knowledge? You know, I ask these questions and I do a lot of research before I say buy a trumpet. And on the trumpet, what I just did, that whole process is not the same exact thing. As far as, let me take that back. The answers are different. The process is the same. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. So the way it was easy to go from from these two notes or to go from that note to that note and to do that on the trumpet. You know what I'm saying? Like, to be able to do that takes a different amount of energy than on the piano. Now, and that's different than the guitar. So, like, You see what I'm saying? So it's like, but once you do it a few times on a couple different instruments, you know, you take the bass. And you start to say, okay, let me create a system that if I can get to at least this system, I know I'll be able to play 
basic things. So if I can find C, that's this note. If I can find C, D, E, F, and G, and I can find those notes. And so when you first pick up the trumpet, having maybe played the piano before, you say, ah, you might try to find a note and it goes, you might crack it so it might sound like, it might be flat or something like that, but after a couple of tries, then that gives you kind of the motivation, the confidence to say, okay, yes, some of these things were hard, but if I take what I already know and apply it to these new things, not only less intimidating, but it takes the stress off of your mind that this is almost impossible. Because the thing I tell people all the time is like, they ask me, man, how did you learn all these different instruments and this and that? And other than, yes, it's, you know, blessing from God and different things like that, but I just tried. And I tried to be smart about if it takes, the norm is, say, five years to learn an instrument, but you only have four years to even just learn one and you're trying to learn three, you got to figure out a different system. If it takes five years to learn an instrument and you're trying to learn three, and on top of that, you only have three years, you definitely got to figure out a different system. Your mind is fascinating. Say that one more time. Your mind is fascinating. This, this, I've just been sitting here smiling. This is so cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just, and so now the thing is, it's like, it's not outside of music and film and this and that. Now it's become more about how can I show people and explain to people or even just say and explain a process to people about how to approach things for whatever they're doing. They might be a truck driver. They might be a chef. They might be trying to just learn a software. They might be knitting clothes or just whatever. And just make sure you approach whatever you're doing in the most productive, kind of fast-paced moving, but without damaging quality, fast-paced moving way possible because you get more stuff done. You learn more things. You see more things. And the way I do it may not work for everybody, and that's completely fine. But I just know that for some of the things I'm doing, I have to have a different system and a different mindset if I want to try to accomplish half the things I'm doing, but also keep the same quality. I'm just going to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. So again, that was completely fascinating. That personally helped me. I'm going to reevaluate some of my life choices now. But I want to ask you, what type of We've, we've kind of talked about what type of gear you use for film. Mm -hmm. What type of gear do you use for your music? Uh, gear I use for my music. So right now I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in my, one of my rooms in my studio. And the gear that I use day to day when I'm doing music production, depending on the project too, but I'm sitting here in my circle of keyboards and I got my guitars here, a couple guitars. I mainly use between a couple different keyboards. I have one primary guitar that I use out of all of the guitars. I shuffle between basses, but de depending on the sound that I need. And then I have two main trumpets that I use here, that I actually use. Uh, even though I have a total of about six trumpets. But I use two main trumpets here when I record horns. I got a couple saxophones here that I use primarily, even though I have six saxophones. But I use my tenor, my alto. I have a trombone here. I have a couple of trombones, but I use one primary trombone when I have to record this. And then these things are going into, of course, you know, when I record into the mic, that goes into my soundboard, which goes into my computer, into the software where I record. And 
for that's you know most of my tools for at home use when i'm playing live you know it's just whatever instrument i'm playing whether normally guitar or bass sometimes keyboard and then whatever live things i'll need like speakers and stuff like that but that's most mostly my setup for music i have a question about some of the work that you do for the community Mm -hmm. so there's the aaron freeman foundation for instruments Mm -hmm. which is committed to getting an instrument to as many kids hands as possible Mm -hmm. So you can can you kind of tell me like why this is important to you and how you went about starting it and how that's going right now in the area of COVID? Yeah, so when this corona thing first happened and we were all kind of realizing, wow, we're actually going to be at home. The whole world is actually like shutting down. I was like everybody else, what am I going to do? And being that kind of everybody knows how 2020 has been going. It's just kind of been a mess. I mean, between COVID and all the Black Lives Matter issues and racial things and, and then just world regular world things that are just messed up. So one of the things I believe I'm here to add to the world is and everybody has their thing that they put it out into the world and it makes the world a better place. So mine, I was believing that it was sharing music or helping people learn. Because I like to think that I'm a decent teacher, whether I'm teaching music or how to use a software or some type of film element or whatever. My thing is, how can I get this person from A to B as fast as possible with them understanding, not only understanding how to do this thing now, but leaving them feeling like, whoa, this is nowhere near as hard as I thought it was. And even the things that are hard, I feel like I can take them on now. That's like always my goal. And so what I did was I have... The Plan A situation, that's one of my businesses. Um, That's kind of rising business. And I did music lessons and I had 70 students around the world for free. And I just said, you know, I had a sign up thing. And again, this is another thing that my good friend, best friend, partner in crime, Sterling Termine helped me out with this and was a great coordinator, organizer, and really just great right hand put this together for me, the logistics side of it, organize the schedule and everything. So I I had 70 students for for free around the world. And I told them, look, I'm going to be doing less music lessons. Anybody can sign up. I don't have any limit or this and that. And so I did this for about five weeks. So from 11 to like eight at night, I was doing music lessons every day, Monday through Friday and workshops on Saturday. And it was a great trial run. I learned so much from my students and it just was an amazing experience. I told them all these lessons are free, but we're doing donations because we want to raise money to buy kids instruments and buy college students like music equipment and things that college kids might not be able to buy, like microphones and interfaces and basic studio things that people in music production should have. So I wanted to do this and I was trying to think about being at Howard, what are some things that I wish I had or I think the students could use or this or that. So I also, you know, had a few workshops and master classes on software and logic and even um, GarageBand and different things that some of the students might have access to. But showing them again, this is one of those things where I'm trying to get do the fastest thing possible without damaging quality is I take them straight to what they need to know, what they want to know, and I show them things they want to know that they don't even know they want to know. So how to do this, how to do that, how to move these files over here. 
things that took me two years to learn, three years to learn. I just showed them in three minutes. Um, so they could, therefore, if it took me three years to do it, do something. And I show you in three minutes. That means you're supposed to do whatever that math equation is multiple, that much multiple times what I'm supposed to do. So if it took me, say even three hours, Jade, three hours it took me to learn this. And I show it to you in three mm -hmm. minutes and now you just know it. You just saved three hours or two hours and 57 minutes, right? So in that, in that two hours and 57 minutes, you can now do greater work than what I did in that three hours because you just know it now. So take that three hours and make it years or months. That's an incredible amount of just work and people you're supposed to inspire or teach it to or this or that. And now everything's supposed to shift. If that cycle keeps happening, we'll have a drastically more productive and just uh, way more creative type of world if everybody's sharing and just kind of doing that. And so that was kind of my goal. Um, aside from, I wanted to honor my band teacher who passed away from cancer this past year. And he never got to see my shows once I started performing these past couple of years because he had cancer. And I wanted to do something to honor him. That His name was Patrick Burke. He taught at Hayfield High School in Alexandria, Virginia, where I went to high school. And, you know, I never forgot this, but I couldn't read music in high school. I barely could read music in college. But anyway, we're not going to talk about it. But he <laughs> never, he, even though he wanted me to learn how to read music and he pushed me to do that, he still had me play in the jazz band and took me home every time we had rehearsal. and. For me, that was big because I also could be a knucklehead in class as far as the class clown and this and that. But band class, I tried to keep it something different because it was music. But he took me home, drove me home because I didn't have a way to get home if I stayed for jazz band in high school. So he took me home every rehearsal and I never forgot that. And he taught me a lot. He showed me taught me a lot of life lessons he might not even know that he showed me. So I believe if he can do that for me, then there's some things that I'm supposed to do for everyone else. And Jade, I'm going to be honest with you, I already have so much physically and, you know, just love wise, like family. I have so much. So I just believe it's my responsibility. If I'm going to have 76 instruments, there's no reason I can't give 76 instruments away. Of course, I'm talking about a different 76 instrument. So if I'm not giving these away, I got to find a way to get 76 instruments that is at the cost of me. And so if I got to do lessons with 70 students for them to donate, and then I get 70 instruments and donate them, then that's it. That's really admirable, Aaron. And it's just really great work to share that love of music that Mr. Patrick gave to mm -hmm. you. It's really admirable. I appreciate admirable. that. Yeah, of course. So we're nearly mm -hmm. at the end of our interview. And I just want to ask, so you're clearly a very, very like intelligent and bright guy who's just on his way and has his hand in a bunch of different pots. So I just want to know, how will you know when you've made it? When I get to the gates and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. All right. All right. That's how I okay. know. Okay. Well, that is, 
pretty succinct. So can you tell the people where they can find you and your music? So definitely. I Unfortunately, I know people, and if my mom heard me saying this, she would be like, yeah, that's why you need to put it out. <laughs> but my friends beat me over the head because I don't have original music out yet. I'm looking to do that. I actually have a couple secret things in the can that I'm trying to find the right release date. But as far as my current stuff, everything I've done so far and arrangements and, you know, different things, I do have a lot of stuff out. You can find me at I Just Play Bass, whether on Instagram or even YouTube and, you know, Google and stuff. That'll come up. It's I Just Play Bass. And you have just listened to episode six of On Their Way, a WGC production. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Baggio Alvarado, and the logo was created by Amaka Corey. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WithGoodCo. And tell your friends to tune in next time. Word of mouth is supreme. If you really like this episode and want to support us financially, consider buying our merchandise at our website, WGCProductions.com. That's how we keep everything up and running. You can also find this episode's show notes and transcripts at WGCProductions.com. Like I said before, those show notes are really nifty, especially if you're a fellow musician like Aaron. All right, I've officially gone through all my little talking points. Once again, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys same time next week. And until then, remember, take care of yourselves.